Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how is the first month of captivity? <laughs> it's been over a month, man, right? It's just, you know, a weird thing has happened. The last two weeks, there have been two occasions where I couldn't tell you exactly when the last day I'd left the flat was. Really? Yeah, it's really weird. It's just a friend was like, oh, Musa, how are you doing? And it was strange because it was, my ears were like, you know, when you go underwater, and your ears just fill up with water and you can't really hear anything fully. <laughs> getting getting text messages from the outside world is now like that. It's like, yes, I'm still here, but I'm not processing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How are you uh, keeping, that's good. How are you keeping it? Yeah, here? all right, man. Steady away. Steady away. Good stuff. Good stuff. So today we're doing a mailbag. We are indeed. Well, actually, before we get going on the mailbag, though, we've had a few requests from people to push the Wire episode back again another week. Okay. So shall we? Because yeah. we were going to do it on Monday. Because do you know what Monday is? It's an anniversary or something. It's our 50th episode. You're joking. 50 episodes of this. 50 episodes of this absolute <laughs> nonsense, Musa. 50. That, that's actually kind of incredible. Considering not even just the response, but yeah, yeah, the response, but also just 50 episodes. 50 bloody episodes. Then you haven't edited it. <laughs> oh, no. No, actually, no, that's amazing. 50 episodes. Um, that feels yeah, wow. That, that feels like a, a milestone. That feels. I mean, it is. It is literally a milestone. Fifty. Big five zero. Five zero. Five zero. Five zero. Five zero. So, shall we push the wire one back a week so it gives people because we know that a few people have tweeted us saying that they've started watching it now and that gives them another week. And to be honest, I, I started rewatching it as well again. Yeah. But I'd, I'd like a little bit more time. Go should do. It. Should push it back. Yeah. Why not? Look, because everyone's at All home. Right. Everyone's relaxed. Everyone's chilled. So. No. All right. Okay. So we'll do it. It'll be episode. 52 and 53 will be the two wire episodes perfect yeah because everyone's just there's, there's no urgency on this stuff i think the key is no. just keep us relaxed yeah, it's fine we ain't going anywhere it's like you know oh god so before we get on to today's episode which is a mailbag and um, thanks to everyone who submitted questions we've got a couple of emails to read out as well we have the results of the vote oh yeah so <laughs> after our all-star episode we posted a follow-up piece on FOTMOB where you could vote for which team you think would win and where you would prefer the location of it to be played. I have the results, Musa. <laughs> the results are in. There'll be no surprise to me. Go on, go on. Okay, so the first thing on the ballot was who wins? Team Musa or Team Ryan? <laughs> this is a landslide. This is a landslide. <laughs> Finally... Welcome everyone. Joining me on the right side of history for a change. 74% of you voted for Team Ryan. Do you want a confession? Go on. I voted for Team Ryan. <laughs> I'm a football fan first. And I was like, come on, man. Like, really? With a midfield and attack like that? I mean... That's one yeah. of the best attacks in midfields in history. <laughs> I don't want to get really smug, but I was really smug when I went and checked the results. Go for it, go for it. No, smug, smug away, smug away. I don't, I, dude. I never win. This is great. I haven't won. I an never election. really. When's the last stuff? time I won an election apart from the roll neck Same. referendum? I haven't won an election. Yeah. I didn't. Well, it's been even longer for me because I didn't even win the roll neck referendum. That's true. Actually, it's the only vote I'd won in years. Yeah. And the second one, what's the stadium votes? So the stadium, where should it be played? So obviously the two choices were Benfica's Stadio de Luge in Lisbon or Betis's Benito Villamarín in Seville. This was tighter. And it was Seville, surely. 46% for Lisbon. Oh. 54% for Seville. It's, like it's a clean sweep for Rye. 
<laughs> it's amazing. I don't even yes. get my golf buggy. Do I get my golf yes. buggy? Uh, well, I phoned ahead. And <laughs> I've reserved you a golf buggy under the name Flat Cap Gang. Flat Cap Gang. Listen, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll the only take... problem is you might have to provide some kind of form of identification with Flat Cap Gang on it, Mr. Flat Cap Gang. I don't mind. So <laughs> I get a free I get a free train pass as well. I get a freedom pass on the subway. Man, honestly, I'm not being funny, but that flat cap gang thing floored me. I was when I was doing the edit and I was listening back, I was crying. It was so funny. <laughs> so such a ridiculous image, yet also slightly plausible. Hundred percent, hundred percent. These young bloods. What do they know exactly? What do they know? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Right then, um, yeah. Thanks to Fotmob for letting us do that. That was really fun. And thanks to and everyone who yeah. voted as well. That was so much fun. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks to everyone who voted, especially everyone who voted for me. Yeah, exactly, including me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, lit- I literally sat there and I was just like, "Come on, man, you're a football fan." Be real. Yeah. yeah, come on. Obviously, if you haven't got the FopMob app and you've got an iOS or Android device, go and download it from the, the App Store. It's really good at keeping up to date with everything that's going on at the moment. And they're, they're filtering some some new stuff in there as well. And you can vote on All-Star Games. I mean, imaginary All-Star Games, what more do you want? Shout out to Ian Woodburn for sending us this amazing Photoshop of the oh, two Oh, this teams. was amazing. <laughs> incredible, incredible. Yeah, so Ian sent us a tweet saying, Photoshop skills aren't great on the phone. On the phone, he did it. Incredible. But got Team Musa versus Team Ryan here. So he's got a load of players from your team rocking up in Rollnecks and Blazers and a load of players from my team just in the Roma kit. It's so good. It's lovely. It's Frankie so lovely. De Jong at the front looking so chipper. He's so happy, yeah. Oh, Frankie. So good. Frankie. Oh, Frankie. Love Frankie, don't we? It's very special. Special soul. All right, so before we get into it, we've got some breaking news, so we might as well go into this. Go on, Musa. Yeah, so very, very quickly, we had an announcement from... Um, Chancellor Angela Merkel, who has come out and said about the situation we're all in, the, um, the sort of semi-lockdown we're in in Germany, big events, and that includes concerts and sporting events, are cancelled through August the 31st. Merkel said, wow. yeah, there can be no false rush. We must learn to live with the virus until such time as there is a vaccine. We have achieved a fragile intermediate success. We don't have much room for manoeuvre. So we must continue by concentrating fully. And this comes from Derek Ray. Shout out to Derek Ray, who's at Raycom on Twitter. Wonderful commentator on the Bundesliga um, for all sorts of great channels. So Derek said this, what does today's announcement mean for football in Germany? Well, clearly there are no fans in the stadium, at least through the end of August. It effectively turns decisions about ghost games over to state and city authorities. So basically local states have to make, Individual yeah. states, and there's, I think, 15, 16 states in Germany have to decide on whether there should be crowds in these stadiums or not. Wow. Probably by the time we do the next episode, there would have been some communications from the Bundesliga and stuff about that. And I imagine there'll be some decision making going on in the next few days. So maybe we can go into that a little bit on Monday. Can I say this? It's a wise decision to coin the name of that famous football game. It is Sensible Soccer. <laughs> Good Lord. All right, then. Well, <laughs> on that note, Leave that in. let's get into something a lot better than Moose's puns. And that is a couple of emails. Okay, so we had one from Frank Sidekick. So I hope you're both doing great. Cheers, Frank. Hope you're great as well. A recent convert to this fine podcast. Oh. Thank you very much. He said, following Moose's recent musings, I've decided to put together an anti-hero 11. I'm taking the Cambridge Dictionary definition as my starting point, which wow. is 
the central character in a play, book or film who does not have traditionally heroic qualities such as courage and is admired instead for what society generally considers to be a weakness of their character. All of these chaps are not traditional heroes, but they demand centre stage nonetheless. Keep up the excellent work, Frank. Cheers, Frank. So here it is. Frank Psychic's Anti-Hero 11. Victor Valdez. Maxime Bussies. Paul McGrath. Lauren Blanc. Paul Breitner. Paul Breitner? Whoa, that's big. That's big. That's big. Juan Sebastian Veron. Marek Hamzik. Juan Roman Raquelme. Gianni Rivera. Magico Gonzalez and Pippo Inzaghi up front. Oh, that is a that is a spicy, spicy team. That is a spicy. I like team. that. I like. I'm glad it. he's got Gianni Rivera in there. I love Gianni Rivera. He's actually a. I actually used him on as an icon on Twitter for a while. I think because we went for a stage of having my hair had big, big Gianni Rivera energy. You know what's funny about that? Someone actually asked. One of the questions was, "What's the most hipster club in the world?" And I was going to say, "Stadio." <laughs> <laughs> our club, just it's our club, our, our club. little Google Hangout club. Exactly. It's so hipster, doing things like that. No, but that, that's yeah, amazing. I like that eleven. It's lovely. It's great. great. We had another anti-hero eleven from Moses Gates. He said, "I don't have a great definition for anti-hero. I'm hoping this is a know it when you see it kind of thing." So this is good. So keeper has to be Rene Higuita. I'm assuming this is a men's team, but Hope Solo needs a shout too. I like that. Uh, defense: Bixon Lizarazu, Rio Ferdinand, Daniel Passarella, Juliano Belletti. Ooh, he said right back was tough. Midfield: George Best, Platini, Rude Hullet, mm. Yaya Torre, Gaisca Mendieta. And he said forward. Could it really be anyone other than Eric Cantona? And he's put a bench. Fabian Bartes, Rusty Rekba, Patrice Evra, Juan Roman Raquelme again, Ronaldinho, Gareth Bale, Carlos Tevez, coached by Bielsa or Wenger, and they would play at the San Pablo. Parkhead a close second. That is a very, very... Lizarazu as left-back is interesting. That's a spiky one. That's spiky to put in there because he didn't really have a bad rep. Mm. It was chippy, but he wasn't like... But an anti-hero... Mm. I'd take Lizarazu as an anti-hero. He was just—he's like, got the face for it. He's got an anti-hero face. Yeah, but I, there was nothing really. I didn't see in his play there was anti-hero energy. I would have chucked Willie Sagnol in there as well. Half-time cigarettes. Sagnol, you know yeah, I, mean? I can see San, yeah, Sagnol. I can see for sure. <laughs> for sure, I can see Sagnol. I just think Lizarazu went under the radar because he was just—he never really made mistakes. He was just super efficient. Did I mean, the, he, there was a great video going around of him on on Twitter today, actually, like a highlight reel of Lizarazu. He was unbelievable and. Oh, he was amazing, man. Underrated, actually. Um, but yeah, thanks to Frank and Moses for that. That's really cool. And we're going to have another question, which is going to be our, f- well, another email, which is going to be our first question yeah. from Andreas Moll. Said, hey, Moose and Ryan, which five players would you choose to roll with during a zombie apocalypse? And who would be the leader of your squad? Wow, what a player, current and past. I imagine, yeah. Go on, you go first. Kolasinac is in there for sure, for one. Yeah. You need to see someone who's just like pure heart and like street smarts and wit. I mean, everyone saw that video of the Ozil and Kalasinac robbery. Yeah. You don't mess with Kalasinac. No, I'd have Frank Lampard as well. Oh, that's a good shout. Super smart, calm, can just do anything, all purpose. I'd have Rude Hurlett too, actually. Yeah, I reckon Rude could handle himself. Rude could handle himself. Strategy, speed and strength. That's what I'm picking for. Those three, you can't go wrong. Two more. Socrates. Because you'd need someone to rise from the ashes, assuming you'd win. You'd need, and he'd lead the whole thing. So Socrates is going to run the whole thing. He's the strategy guy. He's like the Hannibal. 
even have a box of cigars ready for them. You can imagine one of those flat jackets, can't you, with the lapels and stuff? Yeah. Um, and to round up number five, Alex Pop. Got to have Alex in there. Just signed another contract, another year. And just like a, like a team player. So yeah, those five, I reckon, those five. All right, well, I'm going to go for Paul Pogba. Yes. <laughs> but I'd also take Graham Sooness. <laughs> 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 oh my god because if this were a movie the whole narrative would be that those two ended up best friends at the end of it that's true actually if this was like Zombieland football edition there'd be a scene where I'd be collecting scrap metal or something and those two would be sat down and Sunas would be like I'm really sorry Paul I was really out of line and Paul straight away is just like don't worry about it man we're good and he shouldn't have been good about it but it Paul's instantly like don't worry about it we're done it's good that's so funny. That's what I think would happen. And both of them can take care of themselves, for sure. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to take Julie Ertz because we kind of, neither of us picked us on the on the All-Star 11, but also she could slide tackle 10 zombies in a row. Do you know what? I'd take Jens Lehmann. Just yeah. <laughs> why not? The fear now, factor. I'm not even going to say why. I'm just going to say, why not? Exactly. It makes sense. Big squad, that. Big squad. Can I throw Bill Murray in there as well, just because? No, dead weight, dead weight though. Dead weight? Yeah, he'd be dead weight. He'd be great fun until he had to evacuate somewhere within 10 minutes. Have you ever heard those, all those urban myths about Bill Murray? About just turning up at parties? No, there was this amazing website, I think, and I might be remembering this wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was a, there was a website that was just full of stories that people had submitted about Bill Murray. And there was one where a guy saw him on the subway, I think, or it might have even been the underground in London. Yeah, he was staring at him for ages and apparently Bill Murray clocked that he had recognised him and he gets up to get off at his stop and he just goes up to the guy, gives him a kiss and just says, no one will ever believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. I've heard this one. That's amazing. That's such a Bill Murray thing to do. Oh my God, he killed him, yeah. Although he wouldn't be in my squad because again, in a zombie apocalypse, the whole thing is you've got to be on the roof in 10 minutes. You've got to have a squad. True. Like, yeah, yeah. That's the only thing. But we could use him as bait and I think he'd be all right with it. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Amazing question. Do we, should we move on to some serious stuff? Of course. Stuff? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. It was from actually our good friend, Mash St. Paddy on Twitter. He said, do you agree with the wage stance from the Arsenal players? They're about to be dragged through the mud, but they have a right to say no, surely. So for those who don't know, I think Arsenal rejected a mandatory 12.5% bonus-related pay cut over the next 12 months. And they're in negotiations to come up with a different settlement. There are a few things that Arsenal players, I think, put back in about... Well, the the bonuses were, if I think if it was was made... If they made it to the Champions League, they'd get fully refunded. If they made it into the Europa League, they'd receive 7.5% of that back. And... I think the Arsenal players were talking about if a player was sold, then they would be refunded the money that they basically agreed to cut. So, yeah, I mean, we've we've not really spoke about anything super serious on here for a while, but this seems like something that we could get into. What's your thinking about it? I have a big issue with the public being used as leverage to negotiate private contracts. And I don't like the way that whenever people are negotiating, we know the financial details of what players are earning or going through. And so actually, I always tend to side with the players a bit more here, simply because I remember back in, I think, 2000, when Rivaldo was asking for a pay rise, and the president came out and said, Rivaldo's asked for this much money. And of course, the public were like, that's a disgusting amount of money for a footballer. 
And the president knew that perfectly well. And I thought to myself, it's interesting yeah. because no one ever declares the personal fortunes of directors and owners of the club in pay negotiations. So everyone's going, people might say, oh, Arsenal are selfish. I'm saying, okay, well, what's the net worth of the owner negotiating the pay rise with him? And why should players have their hands forced, especially when they, like the 20 Premier League clubs were the first people to step forward and say, we are agreeing to some kind of pay cut and they got hijacked in their announcement. So that I find offensive. I find it offensive that players who are proactive and saying, we want to make these donations are now being painted as, you know, the kind of the greedy party. And don't get me wrong, I know that footballers earn much more than nurses or ourselves or anything, and I shouldn't really be sitting here in my spare time defending them from that perspective. But on a human level, I don't like the way that footballers are being asked to account for their earnings. Mm. While many people that give much less joy to the economy and pay actually fewer taxes, because let's be honest, a lot of the kind of the huge earners in our society, and footballers earn a lot, yes, I know, but there are people earning a hundred times what footballers are earning. You know, hedge funds, their earnings are absolutely soaring because they're betting against our economy. And no one's saying to them, what are you putting back to the economy? No one's saying to them, how about your offshore vehicles? So I guess my long answer to a short question is, I have some sympathy for a group of individuals who are still working out their pay arrangements, and I have complete confidence they will come to good arrangements that suit them and suit the wider society. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think this comes obviously what the week after the the players announced that initiative from off their own back really to exactly. donate into a fund from the PFA thing that came out that they rejected the 30% mandatory Premier League pay cut based on the fact that you would then reduce the amount of tax that would be going into paying for a lot of the stuff that is needing to be paid for currently. Now, we could spend time going into, you know, but where does the money go? Does the tax actually get used in that way and all of this kind of stuff? So let's step back and assume that everyone is doing it by the book. We've got enough stuff to talk about. So yeah, footballers rarely speak out about certain things. And I think clubs and politicians know this. So they know, for example, that a certain footballer isn't going to go... Like Matt Hancock, for example, knows that when he comes out and tells footballers to do their part, no footballer is going to come out and go after the health secretary because they just won't. Unless you're Wayne Rooney with that amount of leverage, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and actually what Wayne Rooney did, I thought was brilliant in his Times piece, but they don't even figure on the, like, the top 100 wealthiest people in the UK. There wouldn't be a footballer on there, I don't think. I remember a funny story about how an Arsenal player loved living in Hampstead because he'd go to dinner with people who were earning a hundred times what he was. And they wouldn't know. I remember actually this player in particular, my friend actually knew him and he was like, it was so funny because no one even knew what he did for a living. And when he mentioned what he did, they were like, oh, that's nice. Like they had no idea who the guy was and he loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just think footballers have way bigger hearts than many people give them credit for. And a lot of footballers have their own foundations or their own charitable programs that they spend a lot of time and money on and a lot of these programs go some way to do a lot of the work that the government should be doing itself right and the thing that i find really hypocritical about this in a way is that you have people like matt hancock coming out and saying that people need to do their part but when it came to do his part voting on things like pay rises in line with inflation for doctors nurses and nhs staff he votes against it yeah so what's his part here if footballers are that important in terms of the money that they could generate to quote unquote do their part, then 
the government needs to do their part and go after the people who earn a hundred times what footballers earn. I would frame things as in a fair society where people are taxed fairly and distribution happens fairly, we can accept that actually now the labour of a lot of these individuals has not been valued fairly by our market and by our financial system. The value of nurses has not been valued. Like my mum's, my mum's a doctor. She's not a nurse. She's a doctor. My father was a surgeon before he passed back in the day. Like I get it. I get that even within the infrastructure of healthcare, there are people who are not valued as they should be. So let's treat this as an opportunity to value people fairly and talk about distribution fairly. Otherwise we won't get anywhere. So yeah, sorry, Mash, that's actually a long answer to a short question, but I feel like it deserved that level of analysis. A lot of people would have started listening to us maybe since football has stopped, but this is the kind of thing that we would talk about on a regular yeah. episode. It might be worth actually mentioning here because I'm not sure if we have made it clear, but we have swerved a lot of this stuff because it's little bits of information and the and the landscape is constantly changing. A lot of it's pure speculation. And we don't want to... Fi- <laughs> it's, it's funny, actually, I was going to say, we don't want to fill a podcast through full of pure speculation on what's going to happen. And then we essentially made up a load of imaginary 11s and stuff like that, which is purely speculation and fantasy. But there's so much stuff going on at the moment that is super, super heavy. Yeah. And it's stuff that we would go after and go into in a normal regular season. Yeah, exactly. However, I think that we've swerved it because there are a number of other podcasts and outlets who are covering this as it's breaking. And we would recommend going and reading and listening to their work because a lot of those people are have actual real connections within the within organizations within football and have better information and something might change the next day like where we were going to we were going to talk about like the um, club's furloughing staff and then it was u-turn two days three days later so for us we've swerved a lot of this stuff because to be honest i'd rather talk about super villain 11 exactly exactly um but yeah Shall we go to a break and then come back with some chip equipment? It's been a while since we've gone in. Yeah, we had to go in. a little rusty. Hey, no, we're always, this, the swords are always sharp. I felt a little rusty then. I was a bit like uh, Skywalker on the island. That's not me anymore, man. I just want to talk about the wire. All right, we'll be back after a break. All right, we're back from the break. And before we get on, we forgot to... Well, I forgot. It's not your fault. I don't know why I would drag you into this. You, know, <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong, Rusa. <laughs> Blame the black guy. <laughs> Typical straight white male behavior. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you have to leave that in. You have to leave that in. Of course I leave that in. Oh, I'm a, I, I, as long as you're all right with me yeah. highlighting Perfect. structural racism within white people, you have then to. it's all good. Go for it. Go for it. I'm not a racist, but <laughs> the name of the podcast. <laughs> Stadio sessions Friday doing a third one. Yes, we're going to move it earlier actually because we put a thing out saying would people like it a little bit earlier in the day, so it's a bit more afternoon listening, and then it also means that people who are ahead of us on the time zones can maybe catch it before they go to bed. So Friday. 3 till 5 p.m. London time, 4 till 6 Berlin, 10 till 12 midday New York, 11 p.m. till 1 a.m. Tokyo, midnight until 2 Sydney time. And it is an Africa special. 
So we're doing a celebration of music and players from all over Africa. So it's going to be music from all over the continent and commentary of only African players. Incredible. So two hours. I'm really excited about that. So good. And also I'd say, if feel free to get involved. If people have um, links to a really amazing piece of commentary that we may miss, feel free just to tweet us the link. And we're actually going to play out on a tune later that is kind of acting as like a little preview for it from Ghana. Good times. But on to questions. Okay, one from Wojciech Augustiniak. Hey, shout out to Wojciech. Let's say you have amnesia starting tomorrow. You can only remember one goal and one match you've seen in your entire life. Which goal and which game would you want to remember? What an unbelievable question. And why are you making us pick, Wojciech? A lot of people, do you know what I've noticed about questions? They're all very, 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 very good, right? But a lot of them are forcing us to make decisions that are really quite mean. That's true. They are quite mean. I think I've got mine though. I was reminded of the match recently. I'm glad for someone who reminded me of the match recently. Not in relation to this question, but someone reminded me of this match and I loved it so much. But the goal would be, it is a cliche, it would be the fourth goal, Brazil's fourth goal in the final against Italy. Okay. Just because I think the one goal I'd want to remember most would be a team goal to remind me what football could be at its best. And it has, if you look at that goal, everyone that scores makes a sacrifice. Yeah. Cod- Codoaldo, you've got either sacrifice, you've got the, all the things that make a great team, you've got sacrifice and chemistry. So you've got a team that plays so beautifully, but like Clodoaldo, that's his first real dribble of the tournament with 20 minutes to go. It's the first time he's actually like run with the ball because he's like a Busquets player, beats four men. And then everyone is just in perfect sync. And the beauty of it is like when, when Pele lays the ball off for, Roberto, for Carlos Alberto, that amazing description he gives, he says, Pele knew I was coming. That's why he didn't look at me because he'd been playing with me for that long that he knew I was arriving. Mm. So that would be the goal. And the game I'd have would be Nigeria 4, Brazil 3. Wow. 1996 semi-final. Arguably the greatest knockout game. That's probably the greatest game I've seen of, of tournament football. It's astonishing. And you look at the squad, that's the best Nigeria team I've ever seen. And that's one of the best Brazil attacks or world attacks I've ever seen. So yeah, that's the game. That's a really good one. What a question. Wow. All right, so I'm going to go for Messi's second in the Classico Champions League semi-final at the Bernabeu because I think the stage, the rivalry, the opponent, the goal, the timing, the whole context was just... I mean, I, I, I refer to this period a lot, actually, and this is where I'm going to break Wojciech's rule on, or actually just manipulate his question a little bit into I'm not going to pick one game and I just want to take those 18 days those 18 days of the four classicos in 2011 I will never ever forget I don't think and I'm not being over the top here I genuinely think it was the most breathtaking exhausting exhilarating two and a half weeks of football I can remember at that time that rivalry you know I kind of wrote about this in the ringer piece that I've if people go to my Twitter at Ryan Hun, it's the pinned tweet there about the Classico rivalry in the new decade. But everything was operating at optimal. Both ideologies were at full pelt. The shithousery, the drama, the pace and tempo of the game, everything was amazing. And that goal in the semi final was so huge. It's that big to me. And I didn't want to pick an Arsenal one because obviously I'm an Arsenal fan and therefore I would love to remember some Arsenal moments. But I think in terms of genuine like non-Arsenal moments that have made me emotional, there were times during those four Classicos where I 
I was just like a bit of a wreck emotionally because I was like, this is some of the most unbelievable shit I've ever seen in my life. And you know it's not coming by again soon because yeah. so many things have to align. You're right. So many, two generational talents leading either team. Yeah. Two generational talents on the bench. And then it's so weird because Barcelona was so amazing in each of those seasons. They won, you know, 2009, 2011, 2015, that we easily forget that, you know, Madrid could have been in the final against yeah. United and United could have won that. Like Barcelona, the thing about Messi, especially at that time in 2011 was, the reason why I love you chosen that goal is because at that moment in history, Messi is the only player who decides those yeah. games. Is the only player yeah. who decides those games that can conjure. You see that goal he scores, obviously. And the strange thing about that goal you've chosen is watching Messi score it, it's weird. It's simultaneously one of the greatest goals ever seen and also one of the most unremarkable because you watch it and you think to yourself, but he's just running. Do you know what I mean? If you, if you watch it, yeah. you go, you go, come on. Like you're like, part of you is thinking, but he doesn't actually do any stepovers. Mm-hmm. He changes direction very slightly. He runs on a similar line. He doesn't actually do anything that is individually that remarkable. It yeah. is the speed and it is the, it's lethal. It's almost like when you, um, you open a new, you open the door of a nuclear bunker, just a fraction and a tiny bit of radiation gets in. And the way that Messi smells space, the way that he smells opportunity, there is a certain point when he gets the ball of Busquets and he's already seen it. He's seen the line to goal. That makes sense. Like he's mm-hmm. seen the coordinates and he's like, if I surge across this line and he watched Ramos and Ramos is like standing there, there's the box. And it's the only other centre-back I've ever seen that isolated is when Shamot was watching Michael Owen approach against Argentina in 98 yeah. and you watch Ramos shift his balance and you re- you see him realizing in that moment I've already lost there's yeah, a I'm moment when you, when you watch that goal you can see every single defender individually realizing he's already done us he's yeah. already even the way that Casillas just Casillas raises his hand and he's like what the hell was that to Marcelo and yeah. Marcelo's like dude it's messy like it's messy great choice I still get goosebumps thinking about that that period. Yeah, even me, yeah. Me it was just amazing. That was so intense, that period. It felt like there was a roof over the stadium. Do you know when you watch those games, it was so like the intensity, the depth of it. Yeah, yeah. I often go back and watch games from that Barcelona period and it's really, really interesting how everyone's on edge. Like Clive Tilsley's on edge on the commentary. Manchester United are on edge in the final against Barcelona. Arsenal are massively on edge. It was almost like any team who played Barcelona, I think more especially in Europe because of the reputation that they carried from La Liga. It was just, everything was so edgy and you felt edgy watching it or whatever. But yeah, I love I love that period of the Classicos. And- There's something to be said about aura. When true greatness comes through, like, you know, certain sports, you had it in tennis with Pete Sampras. There's an aura that basically it's there two days before the final. Mm. There's a mood and... You don't get that with a lot of teams, actually, when there is almost this um, inevitability. And I said this before, I was watching the Champions League final, uh, the 2011 final in a bar in Cafe Kick, and Barcelona were 2-1 up at that time, and there was still about half an hour to go over the game. But I, tore, I turned to a Barcelona fan in this crowded bar, and I said, you know what? I know we're 2-1 down this half an hour to go, but we're being absolutely thrashed. And you're so much better than us that there is no bitterness. This is perhaps the best football team I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, at the time, I remember thinking that as well. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
Um, great question. Thanks. Let's move on to a question that's kind of related. This one's from Matt Limerick. If you could pick one game from before you were born to travel back in time to watch, what would it be? He said, for me, the Battle of Highbury. Hey, Matt, you're young. Hang on, hang on, ha, hang ha. on. I mean, the Battle of Highbury is 1934. Oh, the Battle... Do you know what I was thinking of? I'm so England 3, Italy 2. You were thinking of the Battle of Old Trafford. <laughs> no, I was... Do you know which Battle of Highbury I was thinking of? The 4-2, oh, <laughs> where John O'Shea chips... Oh, stop it. I don't <laughs> ever want to talk about that again. <laughs> Go on. You know, yeah, I don't want to sound like a hipster, but... Here's something hipster. Real Madrid, Eintracht Frankfurt... The 7-3. Oh. Yeah, in the European Cup. That's fight. a good shout. Do you know, I just think because seeing De Stefano and Pushkas in tandem would have been amazing, actually. Do you know what I mean? We, they, we hear so much about how amazing they were, and they were incredible. But seeing peak De Stefano and Pushkas would be unreal, I think. Amazing. Yeah, so that'd be the game for me. I'd go 7th of July, 1974, Olympia Stadion, Munich. And I'd watch the World Cup final between the Netherlands and West Germany. Oh, wow. Yeah. But wouldn't it be painful to watch your beloved yeah. Dutch lose? Because just imagine with how much authority you could talk about that Dutch side if you were like 35-year-old <laughs> now. That's correct. But you'd actually been at the game. That's true, actually. That'd be amazing. I would have just loved to have seen how good they were, or, you know, in person. I mean, because you can watch the whole game and it's clear to see, but still, I think being in person. But I almost think there'd be like, if I could go back in time, I'd want to make a weekend of it. So like pre-match dinner the night before, you know, stay somewhere nice, nice hotel, not too far from the ground. And then just watch the game and have like a dinner just to like debrief before you came forward in time again, just to have that weekend, yeah. you know, just have that weekend as a kind of like an entity. Yeah, definitely. And uh, this one's from Matt Shu on Twitter. It says, what are your two stories for supporting the clubs you do? Is it just geographical or family related or perhaps another reason? So why do you support Manchester United, Musa? Well, for me, it's two reasons, actually. So the first, my mum came to the UK as a refugee and docked at the University of Manchester. Shout out to Manchester. So she was um, a doctor up there and United was her team, her local team. So there was already like a kind of, it was the first team that was mentioned in our household. And I grew up in like Hillington, which is like Uxbridge, like a London district. But that was the first team that was mentioned at home, but it wasn't really, didn't become my team until I saw them play. They had a couple of cup runs in 83 and 85. And it was the white side goal against um, Everton that really kind of, because actually United weren't playing that well that game and mm. came back and won with the late winner where white side just goes on a solo run and curls it inside the far post against arguably the best keeper in the world at that point, Neville Southall, certainly the best British keeper. Um, so that was the kind of like the stamp of, that really got me into it. And I think that United were always a team that if you look at those early years of Ferguson and then also At Atkinson and Ferguson, they were a team yeah. that always aspired to something beautiful, but never quite reached it. And so they had a romance about them, which is not, you wouldn't really associate a club that big with romance with doing stuff at the last minute. So that's where it kind of started for me. Nice. Um, I mean, yeah, I mentioned on the, was it the last episode or the episode before about, my dad signing for Arsenal when he was 12. So basically that's why I'm an Arsenal fan. I didn't have a choice. His dad was a Fulham fan and he was kind of brought up in West London, but he signed for Arsenal at such an age that he just straight away, he, was, he kind of just became an Arsenal fan, you know. I reckon we wrap it. So yeah, before we go, don't forget to check Stadio Sessions. The link is on the Twitter account, but if not, it's just mixlr.com forward slash Stadio. We're on Twitter at Stadio. 
We're on Instagram at Stadio Football. The website is stadio.football. Don't forget to download the FOTMOB app for iOS and Android if you haven't already. Yeah, Stadio Sessions Friday night, Friday afternoon. Do you want to say anything else, Moose? Oh, do you want to do the Apple? Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, um, those of you who listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it really helps us to grow the podcast. Under rating. Under rating, yes, please. Preferably a five-star rating. There you go. Because it really helps. <laughs> <laughs> I just love saying that. I just love saying that. So yeah, head of the Stadio Sessions Africa special, we're playing out on Heaven by Ebo Taylor. And take care of yourself. Hope everyone's safe and well. Absolutely. And we'll be back on Monday. See ya.